Hello and welcome to the Living Life Differently podcast. We are the Mahojos, I'm Amy and I'm Ali and we live in a static caravan on a farm in South Wales with our son Ollie and our dog Dizzy. We're currently on a year off together waiting patiently to get going on a European campervan adventure. We are still waiting. In the meantime, we decided to set up this podcast to share stories of women who are living life differently, women who are doing things different to the norm. So if you're feeling a little stuck in life or need the confidence to make some big changes, then keep listening as we have some brilliant guests. In this episode, we speak with Kelly Hayes-Rate, who tells us that she sleeps around full-time. Ooh! (laughs) What does this mean? Listeners, Kelly tells us all about her full-time life of international travel. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Living Life Differently podcast. We're delighted to have a lady with us today called Kelly Hayes-Rate. I'm not going to say anything about her because I love our guests to do their own introduction. So, Kelly, could you tell us a bit about yourself, maybe how old you are, where you are in the world and what you do in your daily life? Okay, well, that's a tall order. Thank you very much. First of all, I want to thank you both for having me on your show. I'm very excited to be here. I have been traveling and house sitting full time for the last 12 years. Um, I'm originally from the United States. I lived in Los Angeles for 25 years. I was a political consultant. Um, I worked on a lot of statewide campaigns to try to make the world better. And then I ran for office myself, got my butt kicked and decided I needed to do something different. So that's when I got into um, traveling a lot to the Middle East, actually, and working with refugees. And so I've been I've written a, a series of articles about that. I reported from Iraq right before and after the war, after the U.S. led invasion. And um, and I'm doing travel writing now. And I work with authors to help coach their books. And I joke that I sleep around, usually with animals, when I'm house sitting. <laughs> That's what I've been doing for the last decade. And my book, I, I always like to do this, right? I, this is my book. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. How to Become a House Sitter. Insider Tips from the House Sit Diva. <laughs> and Fantastic. so it's chock full of opportunities for people to figure out how to get into house sitting. Absolutely brilliant. And I read in your bio that you kindly sent us in advance, you know, you you said about, you know, your previous life and getting your book kicked after running for office, you went on a sabbatical. Can you tell us a bit about that sabbatical? Because I assume that, and you know, I don't know the ins and outs of what you were doing at the time, but was it just kind of a snap decision that you were like, right, sod this, I'm off? Was it hard to leave that life behind to go off on a sabbatical? What was that all about? Um. Excellent question, actually. That's almost a whole other show, but, you know, thank you for asking that. So I was six. Uh, I, my campaign was, unlike in the UK, we campaigned forever in the States. So my election lasted for three years. And uh, at the end, I was 46. I was exhausted, broke, worn out. Um, it had been a brutal campaign, but one of the most exciting experiences in my life. I, I considered a huge privilege that I had the opportunity to run for office um, in California. And, um, but I just decided I needed a break. I needed to recharge, but I had no income. And so I, once I sat down and really figured it out, I figured out that my house was the greatest asset I had. And I had a huge mortgage on it. So I'd borrowed against it to pay for my campaign. So I decided to rent it out to vacationers, but I had to live elsewhere to for free in order to make the math work. So I had started writing a book about my experiences in the Middle East, working with refugees, and I was lucky enough um, and and excited enough to have won five writing fellowships. So I lived in different fellowships um, throughout the United States and and also one in um, Bialystok, Poland, which was really kind of fun. I was there for a month. Um, But I found, and I was house-sitting in between, and what I figured out was that house-sitting gave me more options. It had more flexibility. It was less competitive back at the back in that time. This was back in, in 2007, which is, it's all, we almost need higher math now to figure that out. It feels like it was yesterday, but it was <laughs> like, you know, 13, 14 years ago. And um, so I, I went into the house sitting full time and that's what I've been doing ever since. And uh, it's been incredible. My first international house sit was in London, actually, during the Olympics. I was oh. living in East London. Oh. I was two stops away from Stratford, where the Olympic Village was. So every time I got on the tube, there were happy volunteers and athletes <laughs> and you know people from all over the world. It was such an exciting time to be in London. And I was there for six weeks house-sitting. 
Kelly, do you know how many countries you've visited so far? Well, all, to, all together, last count I did, it was over 70 countries, but I haven't house sat in that many. I think I've house sat in, oh, I don't know, probably 20 countries for over 100 dogs and cats. And at, at the moment, where, where are you in the world? Well, I'm in Edinburgh. Um, I've had a really interesting lockdown experience. I sold my house in California in uh, February of 2019, thank goodness, because if I was still trying to maintain a vacation rental during this pandemic, I would have absolutely gone broke. So I was very happy to have sold my house. But that meant that I, I literally have no home. And uh, I had intended to spend last summer, last spring and summer, traveling around Europe to find a new location for myself, a new base. What I quickly learned is that it's probably not a good idea to try to relocate to a new continent during a worldwide pandemic, right? <laughs> <laughs> so fortunately, I was in London when the first lockdown happened, and I was supposed to be house-sitting for a couple uh, at the end of March, last March. And of course, they couldn't travel. But what they did was they offered me their third-floor loft, which they usually used as a as a vacation rental, and they weren't going to do that during lockdown. So they offered it to me, and I stayed there with them for free. It was lovely. I had privacy to do my own work. Yes, but I also had daily walks with them and their lovely dog, so I had company, and we got along really well. And then another woman that I had house set for in London years ago had just recently bought this home in Edinburgh, and uh, it it was still kind of a little bit in limbo and didn't exchange. The the transaction didn't go through until the end of last May of a year ago. So she invited me to come up here and accept all of her stuff out of storage and to set up the household here until she could come uh, with her husband and decide what they wanted to do for a remodel. So I've been here since last June and I'll probably be here through the fall while they figure out what they want to do with the house and, and make it ready for them for their retirement. So I've, I've been extremely lucky and I'm very, very uh, happy. I mean, very, um, I feel very thankful for the generosity that's been offered toward me. I've been really lucky. That's brilliant to hear that you've had a base during lockdown, especially if, you know, with making that decision to sell your, your home back in, uh, lovely sunny warm california <laughs> to swap it for what i imagine it's a I, bit of yeah, wet weather, i will say that <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, you mentioned um your first international house it was london during the olympics which must have been absolutely incredible what what do you remember your very very first pet or house sitting experience what was that like um my very first one was for a cat in Topanga Canyon in Southern California. Uh, it was a couple that had worked uh, quite a bit on my campaign volunteering, and they um, were planning an extended vacation after my campaign was over. And so they invited me to come up to their fantastic house that overlooked one of the beautiful wild parks, part of the Santa Monica Recreation Area. And, uh, and live in their Topanga Canyon home for them for about three and a half weeks taking care of their kitty. And that was that was really wonderful. It was, uh, I knew them well, I knew the house well, we had campaign functions there. So it was a really comfortable experience, but it was also just like this little blissful retreat that I had up in Topanga Canyon. And I thought, oh, this is really kind of fun. <laughs> so it was really lovely. The pet sitting, sitting sounds really removed from your previous life on the on the campaign trail what's the kind of differences and is there anything you miss from that previous life to the life that you've created for yourself now oh that's a very good question too what do i miss um and let me just preface this by saying that most people who house it don't do it full-time like i do there there are other people like me who do do it full-time but most people house it for you know, a few weeks or a couple of months during the summer when they have a vacation holiday off or over Christmas holidays or something like that. So they, they do it for just a few weeks at a time. And uh, the benefit of house sitting is that you get to live in, you actually get to be part of a community. 
So you're not staying in the touristy areas, you're staying in a neighborhood, you might have a chance to meet neighbors, you might have a chance to meet some of your homeowner's friends who could take you out for a beer or show you a really fun place that's off the beaten path. So it's a really lovely way to travel in that sense. The, um, the responsibilities that come with house sitting are really high, and so house sitting is not for everybody. Um, in my book, How to Become a House Sitter, I do have a, a as a quiz right at the front is house sitting right for you. Um, you know, I had experiences while house sitting where I've had to rush a, an animal to the vet or I've had to deal with um, weather related emergencies for the house. Uh, in one instance in Mexico, the entire house was broken into while I was out for the afternoon and the whole house was ransacked. So, you know, things, things like in real life, things happen. And, and so when you are taking responsibility for someone else's homes and home and pets, you have to rise to that occasion. And that may mean putting your plans aside in order to deal with that responsibility. So, um, so just to kind of put it all in, in out there, it's not just free digs, you know, people sometimes look at house sitting and go, wow, I can stay in Athens for free, or I can stay in London for free. And <laughs> Yes, that's true, but it's not totally free because it does come with that responsibility. So um, so the things that I miss about not having a permanent home, uh, uh, one of the things about my lifestyle is that it's very logistics heavy. So mm-hmm. I'm always thinking about where I'm going to be when this house sit ends or when the next house sit ends and how I'm going to get from point A to B and where the grocery store is and, you know, all those kinds of things. I mean, nothing is is uh, is automatic for me until I've been there for a little while and then it becomes automatic and and my brain can be freed up to think about other things. So uh, so that's one thing about my particular lifestyle is that it is pretty logistics heavy. But again, if if people are house sitting for, you know, two weeks over Christmas holidays, it's just not the same. It's like going to any other new place and getting used to it and enjoying that newness. And that and, and the excitement of trying to figure out where the grocery store is and how you grocery how you grocery shop in a foreign country. You know, that's all fun of part of the culture, right? Part of the cultural experience. But um, but I do, you know, I, I do miss the stability sometimes. Um, I certainly miss my friends. Uh, I miss although, you know, as we as I think most people have learned under lockdown, there's a lot of ways to maintain friendships by using taking advantage of the technology right by skype and zoom and whatsapp and so forth and so i was already pretty savvy to all of those tricks before a lockdown happened so that part wasn't really new to me i'd already been doing that um but you know it's it's still fun to be able to hang out with your friends and so i do i do miss that um what else you know i i'd say for the most part though it's really an extraordinary lifestyle that I've carved for myself. Again, it's not for everybody, but I really love it. I, I love the change. I love the opportunity to to give back to people who are pet owners and let them mm-hmm. go away on a holiday knowing that their pets will be okay and taken care of. You know, that's a that's a big joy to me to be able to give back into the world that way. You've mentioned quite a few important things there and and I'm, I'm sure your book dives into it in a bit more details in terms of the practicalities of of pet and house sitting and the responsibility I mean we signed up to a house sitting website um, called house sit match which I think is Lamia from house sit match that put us in contact with you I don't know if you know much about our our background but the reason why we set up this podcast during lockdown was was because we should have been off in Europe in our camper van with all you know our baby and our dog and traveling you know freely but obviously the pandemic meant we've just stayed in the garden <laughs> but we joined uh, the, the house sit website because we thought you know what it'd be really nice to travel a few hundred miles and then maybe stay in a local community sit for somebody you know take responsibility for their their pet and their house and just immerse ourselves into that culture but just in terms of how you find people to sit for I know you mentioned you've got some some links with previous people you've sat for, but how do you go about finding new people to sit for? I get most of my house sits through the house sitting platform, such as House Sit Match, which I really, really like. Lamia Walker, the founder, is very hands-on. Um, I think she's particularly helpful with with new people who want to get involved with house sitting. She just is very realistic about what the requirements are of each particular um, house that she lists. And she's just extraordinarily helpful. 
So I, I highly recommend house sit match. Um, it's difficult to have a conversation about house sitting and not mention trusted house sitters, which is mm-hmm. the uh, the largest, most expensive, and most competitive uh, platform there is. I've been a member of them of them since 2011, so I was you know almost one of the first members that they had. That's how I got the house sit in London during the Olympics was through them. So I I get a lot of my house sits there. Um, but it is competitive. I mean, sometimes I'm competing against 30 other people or 40 other applicants. And at this point, because I have been on the site for so long and I've built up over 20 reviews and references, I, I get kind of bumped to the top. But I think that's a hard place for new people to break into. I also like Nomador, which is um, a French-English platform it's the only bilingual platform in the world um, that they tend to concentrate mostly on France and French um, territories but they are an international site um, Marion Ig uh, is their founder and she's also very hands-on and very good and then there are local country specific platforms such as house sit Mexico which I also belong to because I've I've spent a lot of time house sitting in Mexico and Alexandra Gordon is the founder of that one and she's also very hands-on the smaller sites tend to be less competitive and the owners tend to be more actively engaged with what's going on with the interactions that are happening which I think is really terrific again specific especially for new people breaking into house sitting Um, But there are altogether um, over 50 platforms throughout the world that are a few of them are international, some are lifestyle oriented, such as for vegetarians and vegans, um, and others are very regional or country specific, like House in Mexico. So there's there's a lot of ways formally to, to break in and do that. There are informal ways. I always encourage people who want to start out to start in their own community with uh, their network of friends and, and family members so that they can minimize the, the number of factors. Like, you know, when you think about it, right, going to live in a stranger's home, there's a lot of things that can go right, and there's a lot of things that could be not so great. Um, when you're taking care of somebody else's pets, there's a lot of unknown factors. When you're staying in a country that you've never visited before, whether you're house-sitting or not, there's a lot of unknown factors. So I always suggest for people who are breaking in to think about minimizing as many factors as possible. So if you can stay within your own community where you're most comfortable and and then just explore the idea of living in somebody else's home with their stuff and their pets and their routines, then you can just focus on that and not worry about the new culture and so forth. Um, or if you can if you can stay and house sit for friends or family. So you know the home, you know the pets, you know the people and explore a new area then again, you're minimizing factors at the very beginning. So that's something that I always encourage people to do. Um, Facebook, there are a number of Facebook, closed Facebook groups, um, not only for international house sitters, but for country by country. And um, so, for example, I'm thinking about Portugal as a place to relocate to. So I'm part of a um, Portuguese, uh, an, an expats in Portugal closed Facebook group. And that's a place where I could post uh, that I'm a, a house sitter and then I could come and take care of somebody's home and, and pets while they vacation. So it gives me a chance then to kind of dip my toe into, into Lisbon and see if that really is where I want to live. So there's a number of different ways like that to to break in as well into house sitting. Um, I've, al- I've also used um, universities because oftentimes, especially international universities, like in third world countries, um, where there are international universities, and it's usually expats who are teaching at those universities, and oftentimes they have rescue pets that they have, and so they want to be able to go away for their extended holidays and want somebody to come and take care of their pets. So I've posted on some um, virtual bulletin boards for international universities as well. So those are a couple of ways that people can find out about house sits. Do you have any sort of um, insurance or anything or do you need any kind of insurance just to kind of protect you and obviously whatever assets that you own or is it something that's not required doing that job? That's a really good question. Uh, There's no requirement for it. Um, I think it's a good idea for people to have insurance if they can get it. It's kind of an unusual insurance. I have traveler's insurance that covers me for health, emergencies, um, robberies, lost luggage things like that, but it doesn't necessarily cover 
cover me if something happens in someone's home. I have to really hope that the homeowner is carrying insurance that would cover me if I fell and broke my leg, for example, that the homeowner's insurance would cover me for that. That's a gray area, and it does make that a little bit tricky. But I do not charge for house sitting. And this is something that we might want to talk briefly about because there is um, there is a little bit of uh, uh, tension between the people who do it for free and the people who pay, who, who get paid for it. Professional house sitters who do it for a living generally do their pet sitting within their local community and they build up their clientele and they are paid for their services. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fabulous. I do it for free as an international house sitter for several reasons. Um, one of which is that there are so many other people out there who are willing to do it for free. So I would be at a huge disadvantage for some of the more um, competitive sits if I charged. Secondly, it would change my visa status. So, for example, I'm here in the UK as a, on a visitor's visa. I'm not on a work visa, so I couldn't charge for my house sitting uh, without breaking my visa requirements. So I do not charge for that. And then thirdly, I'm the status of myself. I'm, I'm in someone's home as a guest. So I'm covered insurance-wise the same way that any guest would be covered if there was an accident here. Yeah, I'm really glad you cleared that up because that was going to be a question that we asked about, you know, do, do you earn an income from from pet or house sitting or is it for free? But the way you've described it makes complete sense, especially to, to get over the, the kind of difference in status between someone who goes into a country as a tourist and someone who goes in there effectively to work. So really appreciate you clearing that up. Um, as you were talking about kind of tricky house sits and, you know, maybe difficulties with animals, it just flashed back into our mind where we we, we sat, didn't we, for a friend of ours um, in the West Midlands. I think they'd gone, I don't know, they'd gone on a long trip somewhere. We, we were there a week or two weeks. I think it was almost two weeks. And we got left with, I think he was 20 years old. The, yeah. So our, our friend had a, a cat called Harvey, um, which actually is a girl cat. <laughs> but Harvey with an IE, we were told. Um, so Harvey was a very old cat, I think partially deaf, partially sighted. And and we kind of settled into the house and made ourselves really comfortable. And, and there was that big weight of responsibility on our shoulders wasn't there to make sure the house was OK. Obviously, Harvey was OK. And then suddenly one day Harvey disappeared completely. And we're like, oh, my God, he's hardly allowed out. Or she, 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 <laughs> she was hardly allowed out of the house anyway because of her ailments. And then when she disappeared, it was like, oh, my God, we thought the worst had happened. And then in our minds, it was like, what are we going to tell Rachel? How are we going to manage this? We just didn't know where she was. And we then, spent hours like you, you never want to say you had to look in the, like little nooks and crannies. But we were literally looking everywhere for this cat. And we had this major fear that she had got out and obviously gone over the wall at the back. So we spent hours looking. And then eventually it stretched out from behind the television. <laughs> We've been there for hours having that. But that oh, was, a, that, right? <laughs> it was a, a real kind of um, eye opener to the responsibility that you have because, you know, obviously things, I guess things might happen with the pets, like you said, you know, vet, vet trips and break-ins and stuff like that. And that kind of leads me on to the next question. You mentioned obviously how sitting now is competitive. Experience is really important if you can get it and build it up locally. But what what are the kind of skills or qualities that you think are essential to be a successful um, house sitter or pet sitter? I think flexibility and sense of humor are absolutely <laughs> the most important aspects. Um, and it, as you learned, taking care of Harvey and, and looking around for her and, and panicking, right? I, you didn't use the word panic, but I could feel that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like you really need the flexibility to be able to to put your life aside to take care of what's right in front of you. And that flexibility, um, you know, can be about good things too, right? Like, you know, you could show up at a house and there was something you weren't expecting that was really wonderful. So, you know, flexibility for me is the most important thing. But I also think that's just important for anybody who does any extensive traveling, especially traveling in third world or off the beaten path type of companies, uh, type of uh, places, you really need to have flexibility. Um, and I just think a sense of humor can just kind of get you through almost anything. And being able to give people the benefit of the doubt. It's it's a huge thing to have a stranger come and live in your space. And it's, you know, it's sometimes I get to a place and it's just not exactly the way it was described 
or it's not exactly my cup of tea. It might be a little noisier than somebody mentioned or a little more cluttered and not quite as clean as I would prefer in, in the kind of environment where I want to live. Or maybe it's a little bit further out of out of the country than I would have preferred. So, you know, in those kinds of situations, I mean, the best thing I can do is just laugh it off and recognize that I'm in a situation that most people don't have the opportunity to do. I mean, I don't consider myself a wealthy woman, but I am probably in the top 5% of people in the world who have the ability to travel and experience the kinds of things I have. So I try to keep that perspective when I get myself into situations that aren't exactly perfect, aren't exactly the way I would have waved a magic wand and had them be. Um, so, so flexibility, sense of humor, and perspective, I guess, are the top three things that I would say a house sitter really needs. I think we found that this year, because obviously we've taken this year off, and it's nothing like we've planned. Mm. But we've just spent a lot of time laughing and making the most of our time in the garden. <laughs> um, I don't know if you're aware, we live in a static caravan that we bought while we were pregnant, well, well, while I was pregnant. So yeah, it's been a kind of a big learning curve as we go along. But yeah, we're looking forward to getting away and kind of having as much experience as we can. But have you had any like amazing experiences while pet sitting? And what's your most favourite to date? Oh, that's like picking your favourite child, right? Well, I have to say that definitely one of my favourite house sits was in Ajijic, Mexico, where um, I was there every spring and fall, and I really appreciated the stability of that. I was in a beautiful home. It was a four-storey home built on the side of a hill, and every level had a panoramic view of Lake Chapala, which is Mexico's largest lake. Um, just stunning place to be very serene I have the greatest dog in the world I I have I've become one of these dog moms who carries photos of her dog on her phone and will show (laughs) anybody who asks a picture of cha-cha although she wasn't my dog it felt like she was because I was with her for seven or eight months out of the year each year Um, and uh, and I and I enjoyed the community there. Um, Ahihik is the largest, one of the largest retirement communities in the world. There are a lot of Americans and Canadians and Brits there. Very vibrant arts community. I became part of the the writing group and wrote for the the literary magazine, the local literary magazine. So I really felt part of that community, that home, part of the family that I was house sitting for, and certainly, you know, mama to cha cha. Uh, so that that was definitely a, a favorite house sit. And that ended just before the pandemic. Um, I had, uh, gosh, I had a really great house sit in Mozambique, in Maputo, Mozambique, a few years ago for three and a half weeks over Christmas holiday. Two beautiful, sweet little dogs, just hysterical. And the homeowners were so lovely. They introduced me to their friends. They had a dinner party the night before they left and introduced me to their friends. So I was kind of passed around among all these different couples over (laughs) New Year's and so that was, I, you know, I felt very welcomed, not just by the homeowners, but by the community as well. So that was very sweet. Um, I miss them. I'm dying to go back there. Um, I had an extraordinary house sit for a summer in Hanoi. Uh, I'd never been to Vietnam, and I really wanted to go, and I loved Hanoi, and, and Brody was just such a fabulous dog. And again, the homeowners there introduced me to uh, people that they'd worked with and they were friends with, so you know, that is actually one of the things that I have learned for myself. Everybody's different. But for myself, because I house sit full time, I really appreciate it when the homeowners can introduce me to somebody local who's there who could who could just, you know, go out and have a glass of wine with me or go for a walk or or something, you know, just so that there's a little bit of company. And so I've learned to ask for that because that's not something that a homeowner would automatically think to offer. And so, you know, so I just ask can you introduce me to one of your girlfriends or are there neighbors that you like to hang out with that, that, you know, it might be fun for me to, to go out and have a cup of coffee with. And, uh, and usually people are pretty delighted to be asked that and, and offer that. So um, I, I guess going back to your previous question, what's important for a house sitter, self-awareness. I think self-awareness is a really important skill for house sitters to have, to know what makes you happy, what makes you thrive and what drives you crazy because that's different for all of us. So for example, I have a friend who was house sitting full time. Um, We met through one of the Facebook groups and noise is her thing. 
I mean, she she cannot handle noise at all. And it, it, if there's any noise at night, dogs, planes, uh, roosters, you know, construction nearby, anything like that, it just disrupts her sleep and, it, and it's terrible for her. It's a horrible situation. I could sleep through an earthquake and I have. So, you know, it's, it just, it's very different. And, and knowing what makes it work for you is something that can really make or break a house sit or, or anything really, right? Like any travel experience. So, so that's an important thing. And then, you know, and to learn to ask for those things or ask about those things so that you can make sure that you're getting into a house sitting situation that will be exciting and will help you thrive and, We'll help you learn the new culture and and be comfortable in in this new environment. One thing that comes out really strongly when you talk about your experiences is the relationships that you have with, you know, not just the owners, but with their pets as well. So, you know, Brody and Cha-Cha and the the photos you have in in your purse. That makes me ask, um, how difficult is it to leave the longer house sits when you've built up those relationships? Do you find it hard then to move on to the next one? Oh, killer, killer, <laughs> killer. I have cried crocodile tears. <laughs> I mean, like huge tears. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of goodbyes. And it used to be harder when I first started doing it. But then I learned that, you know, those house sits that are the hardest to leave are usually the ones that I get asked back. And um, and that's how I've, I've been able to continue to build relationships. So it's building relationships, not just with the pets, but as you as you so um astutely noted, it's also building the relationships with the homeowners, which is a little counterintuitive because you're not really hanging out with the homeowners, right? You're hanging out with the pets. But that relationship with the homeowner is really super important because it will set the tone for how stressful or how relaxed the house it is based on the compatibility that, you know, that I've built with the homeowner. And, uh, and then that can lead to repeat house sits. So it's, while I've cried leaving, I've also cried coming back, you oh, know, <laughs> having those so rejoicing cool. moments. I've been dying to ask this question. This, <laughs> like when we when we said that we were going to interview you, I was like, I want to know what's the strangest pet you've ever had to look after. And you've mentioned cats and dogs and stuff, but have you had any weird or wonderful animals? Um, I don't do strange. <laughs> That's that's you know that's one of the things that I know about myself that I don't want to do snakes and lizards and <laughs> uh, and they're out there you know and I know and I have friends who house sit with snakes and have a wonderful time and it's just not me I'd be like freaking out that the snake would be getting out and coming after me to get into bed you know <laughs> it's it's just not me <laughs> um, yeah so uh, I love rabbits and uh, and dogs and cats and that's that's kind of my thing. Um, I, I'm a city girl, so I don't do the farm stuff. I don't do the horses and the pigs and the chickens and the sheep, <laughs> but I have friends who do and absolutely love that. Um, I, I'm more of a cat in the flat kind of girl in the middle of London. So yeah. what about friends who've got like bearded dragons and things? Oh, They're just no. like, oh, I couldn't think of anything worse. <laughs> yeah, give me, give me a proper friend. animal with like four legs. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, my I'm friend loves reptiles and she has done Komodo dragons and snakes and things like that. And she just, she has a ball. She loves it. And I'm like, more power to you, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I guess that's one good thing about uh, house sitting, house sitting and pet sitting is you've got that flexibility to kind of almost pick and choose, but with the competitive element still in mind that you know you could throw your hat in the ring and still not be picked for that experience. But something I wanted to come back to that you mentioned earlier was about you know if if a pet has to suddenly go to the vet or you had an experience where the house had been ransacked so I, you know I, I want to kind of paint a picture of I guess it's not all sunshine and roses can you tell us a bit about what has been your most challenging experience and how you've dealt with it sure um and I do want to say that the vast majority of my houses have been sunshine and roses so just to just to put this in perspective I mean I've done uh, you know dozens and dozens and dozens of house sits all around the world under all kinds of different circumstances. And, um, and I wouldn't have traded any of those experiences. And I've had a couple that have stuck out as being particularly challenging. The, the most, the hardest one I had was in Malawi uh, for a British woman whose cat 
Woody, a sweet little boy, uh, was 18 or 19 and was dying. And he had dementia and he had just had um, surgery right before I got there for a bowel obstruction. And uh, the homeowner needed to leave. She needed to leave for a wedding and for a family emergency. And so she just wanted me to keep him alive until she got back. Um, and, it, you know, so it was tough. It was the, the pills and the medicine part wasn't difficult for me. I'm used to doing that for with animals for all kinds of reasons. But, you know, I had to take photographs of, of Woody's poo every day and send it to her so that she could see that he was actually pooing because he just had this bowel obstruction. So that was... I, she needed that. So I just did it, but it did feel a little over the top to me, but I could also understand why she needed it. Um, and then she asked me to cut his medicine down, which I did. I thought she'd talk to the vet and his bowel obstructed again. And so I took him into the vet and I held him while the vet gave the cat an enema, you know, held him in my arms because there was nobody else there to hold him. And we didn't want to sedate him for that. And then I brought him back home and he was sleeping with me. You know, he's an old man, this little old man cat. He was so sweet. And so he was sleeping with me under the covers at night in bed. And, and two nights in a row, he peed all over me in the middle of the night. And, um, you know, it was just, it, and then he stopped eating and, and drinking. And that was kind of, you know, that's when I know it's time to say goodbye to an animal. But um, that wasn't in the cards because the homeowner wanted to be there. And she couldn't come back early. So I we agreed that I would take the cat into the vet and um, and they put him on an IV and and caged him. And that's where he spent his last. Oh, God, I'm going to tear up here. And that's where he oh, spent his last sorry. several days, you know. Um, so but there was there was, you know, there was, I was doing what she wished. And, and that's, you know, that's what's really it's important. Hard when you think it's what somebody else wants rather than what you think is best. So it's yeah. that personal battle with yourself and obviously the wishes of the owner as well then isn't it I suppose right and then you know the the vet also was in a situation where you know he said we really don't need to keep this cat alive and I said but she wants him alive and he said yeah okay I get it and you know he was in touch with her as well so you know that's what we did so the three of us worked together the vet and the homeowner from long distance and myself and and what we all agreed would be best was for the cat to go live at the vets for the last few days and be on an IV until she could get home. Um, but, you know, that was that was really hard emotionally. And I didn't really realize how difficult it was until I got to the airport to leave. And I was sitting there with my cappuccino and I just started crying. It was like it all kind of came out. Um, so that that was a real tough one. And, and she was she was a difficult person to deal with just personality wise and she was also in this horrible situation where her beloved cat that she'd had for all these years was was dying and she wasn't there so that just heightened all of the emotions all the way around totally understandably um you know I felt I felt I really felt for her um but that so that was I would have to say that was probably the toughest one and it was also tough for other reasons um I'm particularly sensitive to mold and the house had a lot of mold and it was a little more of a remote area than I thought it was. And so there were just other things in, in it that made it um, not an ideal situation for me. And, it, you know, it was for two and a half weeks, you know, three weeks is my sweet spot for a new house that I've learned that it's 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 I'm there long enough to be able to settle in and feel comfortable, but not so long that if there's some difficult things to deal with, I can't handle it. I figure I can handle anything for three weeks. So everybody has a different sweet spot like that. But for a new house sit, that's about just about the right period of time for me personally. Yeah, that, that sounds like really good advice. And, and, you know, sorry to hear that was so challenging. And But it's also good to hear that on the flip side, the majority of your house sits are really positive and and you're not thrown into situations like that you know all the time god can you imagine the emotional drain I'd be a wreck <laughs> I was really happy that I could be there to you know help this kitty transition and to help this homeowner deal with her family stuff that she needed to deal with knowing that her cat was being loved at the very end I mean that was really quite a service to be able to provide somebody and so I felt very glad that I, I was in that position to be able to do it not something I'd put myself in all the time as you mentioned but you know it, it was 
it, it was really quite a profound experience too, right? What would you say to any women thinking of going into pet sitting, either as a way to travel around the world or as a way to live full time? Um, well, to do it full time is that's that's like a whole that's a bigger conversation, right? It's like what you two are doing with your camper van. I mean, that's a huge step to give up brick and mortar that you're living in and downsize all of your belongings <clears throat> to fit into a camper van with your dog and your and your newborn and travel. So, I mean, that's a huge commitment. And I want to talk more with you guys when we're <laughs> off the air to hear how it's going, because that's pretty incredible. Um, so for anybody thinking of traveling full time, I think it's important to, again, that self-awareness is, is critical to, to know what makes you happy, what makes you tick, what makes you thrive and what drives you crazy. And if, um, you know, packing and unpacking drives you crazy and flying drives you crazy, then a camper van that you can drive around and have everything be in its, in its place is probably a better idea. Um, you know, I, I love flying. I love being able to go to far flung parts of the world. So uh, a camper van wouldn't be the, the ideal way of traveling for me. But there's certainly a lot of in between between what you're doing and what I'm doing. And so I think, you know, exploring the options, there's so much out there on the Internet now with people living digital nomadic lives and how they're doing it. And, um, you know, so it's it's really it's a lot easier to do research than now than it was when I first started doing this 12 years ago. There's also a lot more technology Bandwidth is getting better in, in places. Internet is growing in third world countries. So there are a lot more um, opportunities on the horizon in terms of geography, in terms of geographic places to go than there were when I first started. So it's an exciting time for anybody deciding to, to become a digital nomad. Um, I think it's also important to really think about, um, besides the lifestyle, to look at budget and to look at how a work your work life would fit into this. Because when people hear that I travel full time, sometimes they jump to the conclusion that I am flitting around from museum to museum every day and going to the theater every night and going out to eat every day. And that's not true. I am not on holiday when I'm tra when I'm traveling and house sitting. For me, I'm not because I couldn't. I don't have the time or the money to flit around to museums and theater and restaurants all day long. I, I just can't afford it. And that would drive me nuts to do that every single day. So that's one of the things that I do like about house sitting is that when I am visiting a new place, I have my own kitchen. I have my own private security in that I'm not using a hotel Internet or a hostel Internet, for example. I've got private Internet that's more secure. I've got uh, I may have a dog that is a good watchdog or an alarm system in the home. I mean, so it's just a it's a safer, more comfortable way for me to explore a new community without being an obvious tourist and having all those tourist traps. So now that said, when I get to a new place, I do want to explore. I do want to see what a new city has to offer in the way of museums and cuisine and, and walks and theater and things like that. But I do have to mix that in with my day-to-day -day responsibilities. I do have bills to pay. I do have work to do. And so it's, um, and for anybody thinking about doing this full time, Thinking about that balance is really important. And part of thinking about that balance are things like what time zone are you going to be working in and how does that relate to the time zone for your coworkers? You know, if it's if it's 12 hours off or 16 hours off, that could really wreak havoc with, you know, your ability to be able to sleep and maintain a rhythm. Um, so so the. There are considerations like that. And I do have a few of those considerations in my book. Um, there are other books out there about becoming a digital nomad as a new way of, of living and being in the world that go through those uh, factors that I just mentioned and, and dozens more to just consider to, to see what would make the most sense. So there's lots of possibilities. Yeah, I'm glad you've you've mentioned your book and thank thanks for kind of giving a more of an insight into, you know, what it means to to do house sitting, pet sitting full time. Um you've kind of related to work a bit in that conversation and obviously we know you've written a book about house sitting. Um so is that what your work involves in terms of, you know, the book? Are there other strings to your bow? Kind and I guess it kind of links back to the bigger question of how how you fund your lifestyle now that 
you know you've sold your your place and you're no longer having the the regular income uh, rental income Yes. Well, selling my place was really a godsend, as I mentioned, and I have that money invested so I can live a little bit off of the investments. But mostly what I do for an income is I edit books. So I work with other authors. I'm a book. I'm an author coach. So I work with people who are having trouble getting their books out in the world and I edit their books. I work with them very closely about the content, about uh, how to overcome writer's block or the specific places where they're stuck. And we talk through those ideas and um, usually my clients leave those conversations pretty excited to break through their blocks and move forward and, and get their books completed. So uh, I'd, and I've edited a variety of books, everything from, from kind of uh, lay medical journals to memoir to uh, murder mysteries, you know, wide variety of books. And, and, I, and I like that. I, I like that challenge and I like working with, uh, with authors. Um, if any of our listeners are thinking about writing their own books and they would like to learn a little bit more about what I do, my website is jumpstartmybook.org. Uh, and so please feel free to go on that and you can learn a little bit more about me and the way I work with editors. Um, so that's a lot of fun. So I do that for income. And then I'm also a travel writer. I write for um, a website called Travel Awaits. And uh, it's a little ironic to call myself a travel writer during a time when there's a worldwide pandemic and nobody's <laughs> traveling, right? But uh, but I've been able to do some really fun stories about Edinburgh and about Scotland, um, many, a few of which have been just research stories. Like I'm working on a, an article right now about unique holidays that Scots celebrate, such as National Unicorn Day, because the unicorn... <laughs> National animal of Scotland. <laughs> and I just finished writing a piece about uh, myths, myths and folklore uh, in Scotland, uh, Scottish myths and folklore, which was a lot of fun to research. So, you know, so some of these I can do kind of from my armchair. It's a little bit of what I call armchair traveling. And, you know, and other articles that I've been writing have been just things that I could research here locally right around Edinburgh without needing to do much traveling. So it's actually been fun because it's been immersing me more into the community here. So I do a, I do a hodgepodge of things. I have, you know, book sales from How to Be a House Sitter, the author coaching, um, the travel writing, and um, and I live cheaply. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to your book, your house sitting book, what could readers expect to find in the book? Sure. Thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing that people will find in my book is honesty. Uh, there's, you know, there's some other house sitting books out there that are really sort of golly gee wish this, you know, golly gee, this is such the greatest house, you know, lifestyle that anybody could live. And while I think it is a great lifestyle and it's certainly a great lifestyle for me, I recognize that it's not a great lifestyle for everybody. So I think the most important thing that people will get from my book is whether or not this is a lifestyle that will work for them. And even if they don't want to do it full time, which, as I mentioned before, most house sitters don't do it full time, it gives the pros and cons of, you know, incorporating house sitting into travel plans as a way of stretching the travel dollar, stretching the opportunities, the travel opportunities and the type of immersion that, that a, a traveler can have in a country, which is really, I think, pretty exciting. So. Mostly what people will walk away with in my book is tips for figuring out what makes a good house sit for you, because as I've mentioned, that's different for each person, and how to assess whether or not a particular house sit is the right thing for you. I mean, as we've talked about, some of these house sits are pretty competitive, but if I'm if I'm competing for a house sit that in the end is not going to be a good fit for me, then I've just wasted a whole lot of time, my time and the homeowner's time. So being able to to kind of pre-assess whether or not a house that makes sense for me is, I think, a, a really good thing for people to learn. And that is something that they'll learn from my book. In one chapter, I have 32 different factors to think about when you're considering a house sit. And some of them will be really important and some of them won't be important at all. But recognizing which ones are important to you is really a key thing. So that's that's the main thing I think people will get from my from my book. That's good to hear. And we'll be sharing the links in our um, show notes so that people can, you know, go directly to the page where they can, uh, you know, take a look at it and potentially buy it. And also the links to your 
um, your travel writing and your kind of author slash editing program as well. It, it's just great to hear. I'm just going to reflect a second before I ask another question. It's really great to hear. And I think it's something we hear from other guests as well is this kind of different sources of income to lead the lifestyle you want to lead. It, it seems that a lot more people are doing that and we've seen that a lot more during the pandemic as well haven't we people have diversified a little bit and realized that you know what kind of normal life isn't for me I'm going to go off and try different things do you find that as well with people that you meet Kelly well you know I've been doing this for so long I was doing this before it became really popular right so you know, 12, 13 years ago, people weren't talking as much about being full-time travelers or digital nomads. Digital nomad is kind of a, a phrase that's really come into the parlance just in the, what, last five or six years, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so I've, I've met people who are traveling full-time for a whole range of reasons. Um, you asked me earlier how old I am. I'm going to be 60 next month. And most of the people that I meet are in my age brackets. So we're kind of um, newly retired or semi-retired. I've I've been traveling full time now since I was 47 or 48. So I I kind of called myself semi-retired at that point. I I removed myself from from my material life and my professional life to do something differently. For me, it was a midlife crisis that that set me off. The loss of my campaign and I... I didn't want to go back into politics. I didn't know it at that moment, but I quickly realized I didn't want to go back into politics. That spun me into an identity crisis. Who was I? I'd been a professional political campaign consultant, activist, since I was 17. I've been doing it for 30 years. I didn't know who I was when all that happened. So it was a midlife crisis, as ridiculously dramatic, overdramatic as that sounds, that led me into traveling full time. And uh, I think the people that I was meeting at the time early on were people who were kind of in the same boat as I was like meets like, right. You know how that happens. So, um, but nowadays it's, it's, you know, I, I'm meeting a wider variety of people. I meet a lot of retired couples who, um, have downsizing and, and either giving up their homes or downsizing to something much smaller that they can rent out and uh, and just want to take a slower travel, have tra- slower travel opportunities, and house sitting can be part of that scenario. Um, I have other friends who've done the camper van thing and, and are doing that in the States, and they incorporate house sitting as, as part of that. They don't house sit full time, but they do it as part of it, as the two of you had hoped to do around Europe, and, and I hope that you will be able to. Um, and then, you know, I have friends in their 30s who... I just kind of wanted to take a break from the rat race and realizing that they can put together piecemeal together different consulting gigs and live more cheaply elsewhere. And that house sitting can be, again, can be part of that scenario. It may not necessarily be a full-time thing, but can be part of their lifestyle. So I, I think one of the things that attracts me about house sitting is that it, it's there's really no particular cookie cutter house sitter. Uh-huh. You know, it can be anybody. And there's no there's no cookie cutter house sit. You know, yeah. there's such a variety out there right now. So it's it's really one of those things that's uh, that's just so open and the opportunities can be endless. I think that's really exciting. It is exciting. And, you know, it's brilliant to hear, you know, how you got into it and the kind of life change and experience it took for you to kind of pivot your life and decide to go and do something different and also to hear how it's worked out for you you know all these years later you're still doing it and that leads us to kind of ask um you know what next for you is this a lifestyle that you think can continue for years and years to come um i've been thinking about that a lot under lockdown as you could imagine <laughs> i think everybody in the world is sort of reassessing their lives I I will say that I have um, that I'm extremely grateful, as I mentioned before, for this house in Edinburgh that's allowed me to to be put down roots a little bit and not just like roots in the home, but roots in the community. And 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 that is something that's really important to me. And and so I I miss that when I am traveling around a lot. So one of the things that I think is in my future is I'd like to look to uh, a city in Europe, and I'm looking at Lisbon right now, researching Lisbon as a place where I can put down roots 
but and have my community, but then still have the opportunity to house sit throughout the year. So not full time, but to be a little pickier and choosier uh, about where I house sit and for whom I house sit and get a chance to really explore some of the the parts around Europe that I haven't had a chance to explore yet and, and do that through house sitting. So so perhaps house sit full time or not, sorry, not full time, but part time with my own roots somewhere in in Europe. That's what I'm looking for, I think, for the future. But all of that can change because <laughs> yeah. I have that flexibility. <laughs> yeah, flexibility is key then, isn't it? Who knows what's around the corner? But, you know, hopefully you do get to, to Portugal. That's on our hit list as, as hopefully a first destination. It's where my sister lives and she hasn't met our son yet. So, you know, that that's definitely somewhere we want to be as soon as possible. We're just coming to the end now. So Amy's got the final killer question. So... No pressure, but I need your best answer for this now. So what does living life differently mean to you? What does living life differently mean to me? Well, I don't know if I'm living life differently, but I feel like for the first time in my life during this last decade, I have been living life authentically for me which is different from how somebody else's authenticity might show up. While I loved being uh, a political activist, uh, I was good at it. I made a difference, I feel, in the world. Um, it, it fulfilled me, but I, I don't feel like it always brought out the best of me. And I think this is a really good question. The lifestyle that I've carved for myself over the last decade, I feel, has brought out the best Kelly Hayes rate there is. And that feels really exciting to me and it feels very authentic to me. So well, I hope that's the killer answer to your killer question. Yeah, I was going to say that that is a pretty killer answer. I mean, to use, you know, using the word authentic, that that comes across in, in terms of, you know, the lifestyle you're leading, the people that you're dealing with, the relationships you make with them, your passion for travel, your passion to be in these different places and embracing the cultures, that that all comes out. And it's interesting to hear the difference in terms of fulfillment as well, you know, from your previous life saying that you were fulfilled, but you didn't feel like it, it might have been the best version of you. That's interesting as well. And I think this is something that we get from from all our previous guests as well there is such an authenticity about the people that we're speaking to and whilst these different or say alternative lifestyles you know we're kind of talking away from the norm um they might not always be really easy or they might not always pay the best money um but it's it's definitely lifestyles that people feel really fulfilled by and living authentically with so yeah definitely a killer answer <laughs> Well, thank you. And, and you know, thank you for sharing your lifestyle with the world and, and providing this opportunity through your podcast for me to share what I'm doing. It, it's just, it's a really great gift that you both are offering. So thank you very much. And thanks for including me in it. That's not a problem at all. You know, and, and with that, we'll, we'll wrap up this episode and we'll just say thank you so, so much for sharing your time with us today. Like we said before, we'll share all the links so people can find you online. People can uh, go and take a, a look at your book. And if they're thinking of writing their own book, they can also contact uh, you as well. So, you know, from both of us, thank you so much. You so could have done with her when you wrote your book. I know, yeah. <laughs> I, I self-published a book, but I just kind of made it up as I went along. So I wish I knew you then. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, for now, Kelly, thank you so much. And we can't wait to share your episode. Thank you. Happy travels. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. We hope that Kelly's story might tempt you to try house sitting or pet sitting in the future. I, again, I really enjoyed this episode, like I've enjoyed all the episodes, to be honest. Um, I'm getting a real kick out of interviewing these women. And with Kelly, I guess, again, she's made, although it was a while ago, she made another big, bold life decision, changed her career altogether, rented a house and, and shot off and did, you know, built this life of international pet sitting travel. And then ultimately sold her house, which must have been a big, big deal then as well. Another bold change and continues living this amazing lifestyle. I loved it. 
she's absolutely inspirational. It's been kind of, you can see how she attaches herself to the people and the animals that she cares for. And I use that word care because it's not just a house sit where you go and, you know, water the plants. She seems to really care for, you know, care for the people and care for the animals that she cares for. So, yes, yeah, it's just been really, really cool and really, really interesting. And something that we're going to look at doing in the future. Yeah, definitely. We are inspired to, to house sit and pet sit. That was part of our plans for this year off. Obviously not the year off we spent in the garden, but it is part of our plans in the future. I think it's a great way to kind of uh, kind of sit sit in a local community and learn some new things and obviously you know care for somebody's house and pet while they're away i don't think either of us are really um tourist attraction people so i think being in somebody's house you tend to be that little bit further away from the main cities and the main tourist traps so yeah it definitely suits us yeah away from the hustle and bustle so if you've enjoyed this episode we'd be very grateful if you could share it on your social media so we can reach more people with these amazing stories. And if you're inspired by the stories that we're sharing and would like to show your support for us, then visit our profile on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the Mahojos. So on there you can buy us a coffee or become a regular supporter. You can also follow our own adventures by connecting with our website and social media channels. All the links that we've mentioned are in the show notes. We really like it when people reach out and say hi. We'd love to know what you think of our podcast so far and where you're actually listening from. That's it for now. Look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Take care and stay safe. Bye.